Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And now a sex tape controversy. What's that's no way to start a show, is it? Well, it, it, it could very well be the only way to start a show in 2023. Have you not seen podcasts these days? Good Lord, cats. You're just four steps away from having to start an OnlyFans anyway. I mean, this is the way to do it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz. Today, what's going on, everybody? 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is a staffer. I should say no, a former staffer. To Senator Ben Cardin, Ben Cardin of Maryland. And this staffer created a sex tape. He was in a Senate hearing room and videotaped himself, I guess in stages of undress, and then having sex with another man. That's what happened. Now, before we go any further, let us at least start with a a place of understanding. No, I'm not okay with any of this. No, it's 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 all insane. And 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 you got to be able to control yourself. That said, I do not believe this is the first time sex has taken place in a Senate hearing room. I absolutely positively believe that that has happened more than once. I believe it has happened in all types of relationships. There is nothing new about sex at the Capitol. What a weird thing to have to say out loud. 2023 is amazing. But we can go back to the days of John Kennedy and the conversations regarding Marilyn Monroe. Sex and politics, this is nothing new. Not at all. What is new is is, is twofold. Uh, First, the idea of these members of staff who think that somehow they're important. Uh, being a staffer is a very, very um, unsung type of of, of position. To a, to a senator or a member of Congress, you do the work, you do the grunt work, you get no glory whatsoever. But this idea that that staffers should be seen and heard and and should have these these voices, you're hearing about staffers in the White House saying we demand a ceasefire now. Allegedly, this guy who worked for Cardin. Um, is the guy who walked up to a Jewish member of Congress and, and said, ceasefire now and free Palestine. This guy claims that it never happened, but I don't know if, if, if I believe this former staffer at, at all. These people thinking that they should have a voice. No, you don't embarrass your boss. There are rules on Capitol Hill. You do the boss's bidding and that's it. And if you can't do it, you leave and you go to another place or you run for office yourself. You go into private sector. A whole sort of a whole bunch of of opportunities, all sorts of things that you can do. But the story here, of course, is that the guy videotaped it. He videotaped himself having sex in uh, the the uh, the hearing room. That is a level of ego that is perfectly twenty twenty three. The idea that. You, you did you not think this was going to get out? No, you knew it was going to get out. As a matter of fact, you wanted it to get out. I don't know if this dude released it himself or or not, but the only reason to videotape yourself having sex is to be able to show it to other people because you think yourself that important. And then when called out on it, 
This guy refers to himself as a victim. He ref- he he's a victim, and and the right wing is 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 after him, and 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 everything else. Quote: This has been a difficult time for me as I have been attacked for who I love to pursue a political agenda. No, you haven't. You are not attacked for who you love. This is exactly the kind of left-wing, nonsensical talking point that takes over everywhere. No one cares who you love. You made a sex tape while you were working for a senator. Of course you got fired. That you don't understand that is because you are a jerk. You're a lowlife. You deserve all the derision you get. Your parents raised you wrong. And I don't want to have to blame his parents for him making bad decisions. But dear Lord, they got to start taking a little bit of culpability. But nah, let's leave the parents out of it and put it all on this guy. You're a terrible guy. While some of my actions, he writes, in the past have shown poor judgment, I love my job and would never disrespect my workplace. Oh, okay. Uh, That's not disrespecting your workplace. Any attempts to characterize my actions otherwise are fabricated, and I will be exploring what legal options are available to me in these matters. We're not allowed to notice that you are bereft of decency. We're going to be the guilty ones. What an egomaniac my god that's that is remarkable to witness everybody else is guilty i'm the victim you're not a victim you're scum and 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 you know you you could have been a guy who is just uh, an exhibitionist and all these kinds of things it's this statement that adds to it you wouldn't disrespect your workplace too late you're being attacked for a purely political agenda Total nonsense. But backing him up, NBC News. NBC News has, this is the headline, Senate staffer alleged by conservative outlets to have had sex in a hearing room is no longer employed. That's not the story. That's that's nowhere near the story. He's not alleged by conservative outlets. He made a video, and in the video, he's having sex in a hearing room. Why would NBC say it any other way? It's because NBC News is disgusting. And the people who work for NBC News are happy to lie to you and move agenda. They would say anything. Anything. They don't care how they lie. They don't care how they pervert. They don't care how they twist. They'll say anything to protect their own. You want to protect a guy who had sex in a hearing room and videotaped it? Conservatives allege there's no allegation, there's a video. It's fact. NBC News couldn't be trusted for a holy damn second. That means you, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski and the worthless Willie Geist. That means you, Kristen Welker and Lester Holt. That means you. You should be outraged by this headline you should be denouncing your digital department for writing such a headline that's not going to happen you want to protect a staffer who had the audacity to tell the rest of us that you're being attacked to pursue a political agenda dude you did the thing whatever happened to taking responsibility for the things that you do you did the thing why aren't you taking responsibility for this it is Amazing to witness, but it goes a a, a step uh, deeper, which is a conversation about where we are 
and a conversation about the system. The immediate victim undertaking, the immediate move by media to try and spin how how the conversation uh, goes and, and, and what really happened, this leads us to a place where people don't take responsibility for their actions. How could, how is this somehow making things better? So for NBC, what is the win in uh, saying allegedly? What is the win in trying to make this about conservatives as opposed to making this about the staffer? Are they saying that they condone the behavior? Or are they saying that because it was a gay man, they have to engage protection, otherwise they won't be seen as woke enough? Which leads one to, are they in the journalism business? Or are they in a different business? And the answer is they're in a different business. The headline itself proves the lack of not just journalistic integrity, but the lack of journalistic desire. Being the journalist is not as important, and the headline proves this. Just like the act itself being videotaped proves that there is no interest in in having some level of of comporting uh there's there's a way to act there's a way to be there's a respect to show your boss this doesn't show any respect to his boss he doesn't care about his boss he cared about him there was no respect for the job the title the opportunity none of that mattered only he mattered this selfishness this this lack of respect for others this lack of respect for the institution we see it from the institutions themselves in terms of how they treat us as americans but look at how people treat the institutions if you were to ask this guy at any given day i guarantee you he would tell you that uh, january 6th is the worst thing that ever happened and an attack on the institutions and a denigration of the institutions what he does well that's just an expression of who he loves why are you angry with him one must work extra hard to be able to say that and not realize that it, it, it is seen as, as, as a radical position. But when you take a look at where we are today and the support from NBC and the support culturally, of course, this will be seen as what? It's just people loving each other. It doesn't even matter. But of course it matters. And you're not wrong for saying it matters. And this is where the story needs to be. It matters. How you treat the institution, yes, including this. How you show the respect for the people you work for. It matters. I'm in radio. I'm not working on Capitol Hill. You know how many sex tapes I've made? Zero. By the way, don't look for them. There are none. Because, A, I would never do such a thing. But the idea that if I did such a thing, it wouldn't reflect on my employers, stations, uh, compatriots, etc. Well, of course it would. Never mind reflecting on me. Why don't I owe those people something? Why don't I show them the level of respect that they deserve? Does that mean that they have every right to every part of my private life? Of course not. You didn't know this staffer existed. You didn't care. 
My God, until today, you might not even have known that the senator from Maryland, one of them was Senator Ben Cardin. The other one is Chris Van Hollen, who I, I also find. Uh, well, I, sh- I should say I don't have many feelings on Ben Cardin except basic disagreements politically. Uh, Chris Van Hollen, especially with his Israel comments, I find uh, perverse. Truly. Uh, now, maybe not this level of, of, of perverse, but this the, the, the perverse is not that the guy is gay. It's that the guy decided to make a sex tape and then, after putting it out there, calls himself a victim. That's perverse in my view. It is. It's perverse because you're saying my boss doesn't matter. You're saying the institution doesn't matter. And I don't know why you, you come to that place. What you've determined is that you matter more than all the other things. People matter, and I think they should protect and defend themselves and, and all, all of that. But why don't the other things matter? And wouldn't you be better off if they did? Wouldn't you be better off if you said, you know what, my boss's reputation matters? My, you know, the, the, this, this hearing room where, where decisions are made matter. Maybe I don't do this. Maybe I don't act like this. Maybe by putting, things, uh, putting other things uh, above myself... I create a standard, and that standard actually provides me value. Now, in this case, it's a sex tape, but I think we can apply it to a million different things. I think this is the story. Culturally, we are broken. And it's not that, you know, well, hey, don't lump me into this, Tony. I wouldn't make a sex tape. It's the idea that we do something and then blame other people for noticing what it is that we do. How dare you question it? How dare you have an issue with it? How dare you judge it? I judge it. You bet your butt I judge it. I judge the living snot out of it. Oh, I judge it like it's my job. Of course I judge this guy. Just like I judge NBC and their failure to actually be journalists. I judge them and i think you should too and i think that in in that you should then take that to to your families and 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 to your children certainly a rough conversation to have but it's it's not about first of all don't make a sex tape don't take a picture of yourself nude do not do it my god i only hope i have made this clear to my children do not take naked pictures do not if no good no good will come from it nope nope it can't happen it cannot be helpful you cannot win anything please don't do this for the love of god you know it's like keep my baby off the pole and no naked pictures these are the things what about the idea of a standard that you wouldn't do this to yourself or or others that that self-control says something about you as a person other people may not note it or notice it but you do other people may not uh, appreciate it uh, uh, publicly but you do and holding yourself to a standard matters holding yourself to a standard is good and decent and rational and valuable in this conversation the staffer holds himself to no standard and neither does nbc and none of us are better off this is, this is a reinforcement that standards are not necessary. As a matter of fact, standards themselves are bigoted, but they're not. They're not. 
I'm not saying I'm going to have people do away or we're going to do away with people having sex in the Capitol. That's that's never going to happen. Things are going to happen. And I'm not saying I approve of it. I'm saying it's going to happen. I am saying we should say that this isn't what we want. I am saying that we should work towards building kids and adults in a society that says, as much as I want to try this really cool thing, maybe this isn't the place for it. And I'm going to respect myself and my boss enough not to do it. And maybe there should be enough pressure put on NBC that they start to learn that they're not in the journalism game. They're in the nonsense partisan uh, narrative game. And people should be not paying attention to them as a serious news source when they do this kind of thing. They deserve all the derision they get and then some. And so do the anchors and so do the reporters. So they can then apply the pressure to demand better from themselves. Standards are not bad things. They are good. Standards, the idea of limiting oneself, not on everything, but on some things, creates a better society. Because what we're watching here, to the extent that anybody watched, this isn't better. This is, this is not only just degrading, but damaging to the society writ large. And honestly, we can't afford much more of that. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. The Giuliani defamation payout is a whole bunch of loot. $148,169,000. Two women he falsely accused of committing election fraud. This goes back to 2020, of course. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Uh, my, my job here is not to defend uh, Rudy Giuliani. He did what he did. I'm not here to defend it. I'm here to ask a series of questions. And they were quite... They were the, I was at an event uh, over the weekend. I was at an event where that I was hosting uh, with a, a sponsor called Premier Arms, which is a, a firearms and jewelry store. Premier Arms and PA Jewelers, and we had a distillery, Hotel Tango Distillery with us, and we were tasting bourbon, and people were hanging out, and they were having a ball, and they were buying local, and we were supporting a group called Helping Veterans and Families, HVAF, H-V-A-F.org. Fantastic time. After that, I was at a a Christmas party, and I was speaking to a a friend of mine who was talking about this subject, and and I had not paid much attention to it. I knew I'd get to it today. I knew I'd read about it, but this guy was intense on it, right? Really kind of kind of digging in. And their point was $150 million, $75 million each. How does one come to that number? What exactly do these women provide in society that is valued so greatly that the defamation makes it worth $75 million a piece? Now, this is a different conversation than whether or not Giuliani actually engaged in in, in, in in defamation and whether or not there should be a consequence to defamation, uh, to which I have no problem with the consequence to defamation. But $75 million a piece? A piece? When people talk about Trump and, oh, he's just going to be president of, of retribution, all he wants is retribution, may I ask, what the hell is this? That's the point. 
$75 million apiece certainly seems like a retribution number, not a number that is rational to, to, the, to the idea of defamation in this case. Unless you tell me there's no number that's too high for defamation, which case, all right, somebody defame me, I'd like to retire. If you don't mind, that'd be great. This is Tony Katz Today. want Indiana to attract the business. I want Indiana to grow. There's only a question about how it gets done. And certainly when we have taken a look at Leap, that area in in, in Lebanon, Whitestown, and how they acquired the land. And look, Eli Lilly's going in and look at the sweetheart deal that they're getting in this company and that company. And look at how the state is doling out for them this, that, and the other way. And then you learn about the water and you're going to you're going to pipe in water from Tippecanoe County for this this Leap District area? And, and what about other growth, whether it be in Tippecanoe or, or, or other places in, in Indiana? Well, we've got so much water, it's okay to pipe it. Are you sure? And, and why does it look like you made this decision and now you're trying to cover up that decision with some levels of bureaucracy? This has been a real conversation piece around the state, and I think rightfully so. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And now add on top of this, this story about the IEDC looking to get a whole bunch of money to try and make some new deals. So the story is, is that the IEDC, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, is looking for approval from a fund that already exists to spend $180 million dollars in performance-based incentives, as the reporting goes, to get them here. We discussed this last week. This story is only growing, and I think it's all because of the questions regarding this Leap District in Lebanon. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. So, so we got into this last week a little bit. Let's start with an update. What is the story here? What are these projects? And Where is this $180 million in relationship to the ask versus the actual quote-unquote spend? Yeah, Tony, uh, and Peter Blanchard at the uh, the IBJ had a story last week in terms of, as you mentioned, $180 million uh, from a fund that was created by the Indiana General Assembly, a $500 million fund, to do just this to try to attract a new companies, new business to uh, Indiana. Two separate projects, unnamed companies, $100 million in incentives uh, to lure uh, a company that plans to invest $4.1 billion, create 2,700 jobs, according to the IEDC, another $80 million in incentives for a company looking to invest $3.1 billion uh, and create 800 jobs. So that will, and that will go before a, uh, a legislative committee tomorrow to get the okay for that. Uh, and then where those projects will, will go, certainly the Leap District in Boone County, which has received more than its share of attention uh, for uh, issues related to water, uh, is one of the locations said to be targeted for uh, investment. The other unclear at this point. But the the hundred and eighty million. This is where yep. people are asking questions. There's this fund that exists to be able to to be utilized to attract these kinds of 
major players, large-scale jobs and, and, and opportunities. The incentive package, has there been a maybe a fleshing out of what that means when we talk about the IEDC offering up incentives? What Can you define what that looks like? Yeah, and that will come, and I, I would think we would get more details uh, perhaps tomorrow as they, they go before uh, this group for for approval, but it can mean you know a number of things. Land acquisition, I think, is is one certainly that uh, that is in play here. They're going to be acquiring land uh, at these locations, including the Leap uh, District. But uh, you know these incentives can range uh, and can uh, certainly vary. And the Indiana Economic Development Corporation makes the point that these are quote unquote incentive based. So if the projected investment or jobs that don't come to pass the company would not get the uh would not get the incentives uh and you know the incentives game you can you can debate that back and forth uh is it needed is it important uh it it obviously is at play and i think you and i talked last week about the uh uh, stellantis samsung sdi deal in kokomo that uh, indiana won that competition uh they're going to build two plants up there massive investment there and actually, the state of Michigan offered multiple times the size of the incentive package, and they didn't get it. So companies, uh, it is a competitive game. Companies, uh, or I should say states and regions around the country, uh, are certainly in it in a big way. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter, at IIB. Uh, the, so much of this is um, getting, I think, more attention because of the oddness of leap this 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 thing happening in in Lebanon where land was acquired and and were the people of Lebanon Whitestown those areas were, were they really notified did they have a chance to to purchase the, the the land and then of course this idea about bringing in water and and you'll hear people say we've got a lot of water even uh, Brad Chambers a gubernatorial candidate has jumped in on, on this conversation I think because of his days at IEDC and maybe being a part of of, of how some of these deals have come forward but people are saying you're going to move water from Tipica new uh to to down in lebanon what about other development in 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 other places is there a feeling statewide that the growth opportunities of indiana or or the desires to grow are happening at the at the detriment of, of the people of hoosiers or is there a feeling amongst business leaders that very often people complain about the thing but don't understand the value of, of the thing which way is this going you know, it, it's a great debate, a great question, uh, and I think you could look at it, uh, you know, uh, in terms of a little bit of both, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, it, it, you know, the old the old NIMBY, not in my backyard uh, element that perhaps is a piece of that. But there's also, you know, legitimate concerns when you're talking about piping substantial amounts uh, of water from one area to another to fuel economic uh, economic development. The LEAP district, that model, if you will, uh, I think is, is very interesting. The whole idea is to acquire land and then attract advanced industries, like-minded in- industries, growing industries, uh, and create a, a hub of sorts of innovation, technology, uh, jobs, investment, those types of things. The LEAP is the first example. I think there are other areas around the state being looked at as potential uh, districts, innovation districts, if you will, will. So it's part of a of a strategy on the part of the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. And if you look, this this water issue, notwithstanding, it's continued to be continuing to be studied. And actually, we're seeing some uh, uh, folks in the western part of the state, in Terre Haute, the Wabash Valley, and things, looking at what's happening in Lafayette, the concerns there, and wondering about 
uh, water supply and economic development in that part of the state as well. So I think you're going to continue to see, or I, I should say, the uh, initial returns uh, in terms of the investment and the interest in the LEAP is, is very high. Lilly putting its largest investment ever uh, at the LEAP district, multiple billions of dollars and several hundred jobs there as well. So it's an issue that's going to be with us, uh, you know, I think for some time. And certainly it's going to be an issue of the gubernatorial campaign, I, I, I anticipate, uh, next year. And going to be a harder issue for people like Suzanne Crouch, who's the current lieutenant governor, than some people who are on the outside. That's just political reality. Talking to Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. These kinds of projects, is, is this the future of Indiana? Meaning, should other areas be taking a look at what's going on with this leap thing, whether they be in, in, in the Muncie area or, or they be down in, in Bloomington, down in Jeffersonville, or, or other areas and saying, uh, the state might be trying something like this where we are? Like, and, and are they excited about this or do they see this as a potential issue? Yeah, I think, again, I think it's a mix. You know, I think there are, are uh, you know, communities and regions around the state that perhaps haven't participated in the economic development success saying, hey, what about us? You know, we'd, we'd like to get an investment. We'd like to, to have something like this uh, in our region. And at the same time, there are those who are concerned about the infrastructure, be it water roads, traffic, all the things that go uh, with major development. Uh, you know, concerns about that uh, as well. And one of the big uh, focus areas, Tony, you and I have talked about it. How does the rest of the state, how does rural Indiana and smaller communities benefit uh, or get in on this economic development game? We're beginning to see, you know, some big investment, New Carlisle up in the South Bend area, getting a big General Motors uh, joint venture plant, several billion dollars up there, EV battery uh, plant in that region. Terre Haute getting a big uh, EV components investment there too, beginning to see more investment outside of metro areas, if you will, around the state of Indiana. So with that comes jobs, the need for workforce training, all those things that you and I have talked a lot about uh, the past uh, number of months. And those are going to be front and center, certainly in 2024, but I think for some time to come. Gary Dick, inside IndianaBusiness.com. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. The idea that we would engage in incentives to help build a workforce to be able to work that business to be able to get the opportunities that come from it that i'm fine with that i don't have an issue with that at all i think it makes sense and and if if the argument is we shouldn't be incentivizing that way uh then we lose out now you say to me well this is part of the problem i won't disagree but if we're giving up because because it's weird it's not actually giving up money if we're giving up the, the the chance of getting future tax dollars that we definitely wouldn't get anyway if we didn't have the business, what's the argument? Well, one argument could be, well, you give opportunities to this kind of business, but not to that kind of business. You could say that that's true. And you could say that that's unfair. But you can ask yourself, what does that business bring versus what other businesses bring? And does one have to make decisions? Well, now you're asking, does the state pick winners and losers? Again, a solid, legitimate question. But one of the answers is possibly, possibly not, but since we're not actually giving anything up if these businesses don't hit their targets, all we're doing is taking a shot at how we create opportunity that will then create other ancillary opportunities. One of the things I think gets forgotten all the time 
is that let's say you bring a business into town. Let's, let's say one of these advanced manufacturing businesses. What that also brings, right? It's, it's not that $7.2 billion worth of investment. That's super nice. That's top line. What about the millions up to billions of investment from all the smaller businesses that then come in to provide ancillary services for it? So if you bring in a, a big advanced manufacturing place, whatever, whatever you want to describe as advanced manufacturing, let's say they hire 300 people. Now who provides the dry cleaning for those 300 people? How about the restaurant for those 300 people? How about an entertainment opportunity? How about a, a, a this service or a that service? The electricians, the businesses that come in to now provide for that business and for the people who work at that business. Those things matter. And, and, and this has a, 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 an effect that's solid, I think, for an economy. So when we take a look at these things top line, I favor the, the outreach. I favor trying to bring people in. Now, I think that it's done first and foremost through a better regulatory environment, even more so than taxation. I think the idea of regulatory environment, making it easy to open the business, that moves people most of all. And, and I want to move people in that direction. I think it's extremely important for us not to have a serious regulatory burden. Make it easy, kitten. Make it easy. That's what we should be doing. And I think that would help attract more people. Then we can get into the taxation conversations and then you can get into what some people would describe as the giveaway conversations. But remember, you're not giving anything away if you're only telling them they don't have to pay something they definitely wouldn't pay if they weren't here. Now, that doesn't go for all businesses and I'm, I'm circling back and I get that that's the, a, a crux, something that's worthy of discussion. So I don't have the issue with trying to, to build business this way I have an issue, certainly with, with how an incentive is paid out. But when we talk about leap, when we talk about where, where, where else this could happen, or, or is this the state deciding that the Hoosier doesn't have a say? They'll do what's best and you guys will just figure it out. Because that dog won't hunt. That I cannot abide. I don't think anybody should. Find everything going on at Tony Katz. Dot com. This is Tony Katz today. Miles in Budapest, my, my hidden treasure chest, golden grand piano, my beautiful EOU. I will say it again and again and again and again. The, the, the biggest threat in, in America is not uh, radical Islamic terrorism. It, it, it isn't. Uh, the, the biggest threat in America is not climate change. It isn't. The biggest threat in America and to America is liberalism. And the very idea that one should not note when something is wrong. The allowing of Marxism in our lives, which has happened all across the educational sphere, and we have so much proof of it now, post-October 7th, post the attack from Hamas, this terrorist organization in Israel, and all the support you see for Hamas, not for a free Palestine, that's nonsense. It's for Hamas. And you saw it previously when people would say, well, anti-Zionism isn't anti-Semitism. 
Of course it always was. Of course it always will be. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Of course, one could have an opposition to Israeli policy. I do. I have opposition to German policies. I have opposition uh, to a lot of things in, in a lot of places. For these leftists, it was an excuse to allow their leftist friends to build hate towards Israel and hate towards Jews. And when you see Jews across the country saying, we've been abandoned by the left, we can't believe how this has happened. How did you not know this was going to happen? And I try, I'm trying to find grace. I'm trying to find the place, but I do admittedly have a a bit of a hard time with this. How did you not know? But when people are confused, I want to at least try and bring some understanding. And the understanding is Marxism. Why is it that the polling shows uh, that uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, 51% of 18 to 24-year-olds think that Israel should be ended and given to Hamas? That's where the polling is, a Harvard-Harris poll. It's because they view Israel under the guise of oppressed oppressor. And you're like, what are you talking about? They view Jews as white and therefore everybody else, Palestinians, as not white, and therefore Jews are oppressors. And you say to yourself, but this is, this is Israel and there are Arabs, and what are we, what are we, Israel's the oppressor, what are we talking, let me try it uh, again. Everything for the Marxists is, a, is viewed in this oppressed-oppressor relationship. It's the same thing as Barack Obama talking about the 99% and the 1%, it's the same thing as Karl Marx talking about the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. Everything you see is oppressed oppressor. This is Marxism. This is what we're seeing everywhere. And this is what we have allowed to be built in schools. And why do you think they're so angry that you as a parent or you as just a a human being, as an adult, as an American citizen, are paying attention to what's happening in the schools? It's because they want to keep this going, this hate, this vitriol, this bile, and you're getting in the way. Why do you think this is happening on college campuses? Because this is what we as Americans have built because we have allowed the liberal left to be in charge of academia. That's done. It's more than just private school and homeschool. It's about breaking the unions and taking over. I'll have more on this. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.